0: Hi, I'm Paul Havershood, host of The Cost of Living. It's a show about money and how it shapes our lives. In big ways, like why inflation could get worse if we all make more money. Here's the hard truth in all of this. Workers are gonna have to eat that real wage loss. And small ways, like what's the fastest way to order fast food? That first Big Mac that comes out of the kitchen is going to the drive-thru. Check out The Cost of Living. We're on CBC Listen or wherever you get podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. Osteoporosis affects an estimated 2.3 million Canadians, but the condition has no symptoms, so most people don't even know they have it until they start breaking bones, which is kind of late when it comes to prevention. So this week we're asking, what do I need to know about osteoporosis? Hi, Carrie. Welcome to The Dose. Hi. You founded the Northern Alberta Osteoporosis Program where you support patients with osteoporosis. What's one of the most common questions you get from patients?
1: Why do I have osteoporosis? That's probably a really common one. What is osteoporosis? Actually, maybe that's the top one.
0: What did I do wrong to get me osteoporosis? Is is that a fair one as well?
1: Yes. Yeah, that's okay. commonly asked for sure.
0: And I assume you have the answers, uh, which we're we're dying to 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 receive. So uh, we'll begin uh, in just a moment. But before we begin, can you give us a hi? My name is. Tell us what you do and where you do it.
1: Sure. Hi, I'm Dr. Carrie He. I'm a rheumatologist in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. I am the medical director of the K Edmonton Clinic Multidisciplinary Bone Health Clinic. Um, where I see patients who have osteoporosis or are at risk of osteoporosis.
0: Okay, here we go. Before we get to osteoporosis, let's start with the basics. How do bones renew themselves?
1: Well, we have three main types of bone cells. I'll just discuss two. So we have osteoblasts, which are cells that build bone. And then we have osteoclasts, which are cells that eat away at bone. And to have healthy bone, you want that constant turnover of eating away, but then replacing it with new bone. And you have healthiest bone when that balance is right. When that balance is tipped towards too much eating away of bone and not enough replacement of bone, that's when you can develop osteoporosis.
0: Okay. Um, Let's get some medical definitions out of the way. First off, what is osteoporosis?
1: Osteoporosis is basically a metabolic bone condition that puts you at higher risk of having fractures or breaking your bone with little to no trauma.
0: You know, I I seem to remember that for a few years, the experts in osteoporosis were sneaking in another word called osteopenia. Uh, Do they still use that word? Oh,
1: it's used a lot because it's just become part of the medical jargon now. And I mean, it's still a valid term. Specifically, osteopenia means that you have a bone mineral density that's low for your, um, compared to healthy, you know, peak age bone, um, but it's not quite meeting the osteoporosis criteria. So usually the way we report bone mineral density is using a T-score. And a T-score is, a measure of the number of standard deviations above or below normal. And so osteopenia is defined as a T-score of between negative 1 and negative 2.5. Now, the reason we've moved away from that terminology is that it doesn't tell us a lot about someone's risk to say someone has osteopenia, and it doesn't tell us a lot about if you should treat them or not.
0: Okay, gotcha. So how does someone know if they've got osteoporosis?
1: Yeah, great question. So... I would say unless you get tested or you've already broken a bone, you probably won't know if you have osteoporosis because it's not painful, it doesn't make you tired, so you really don't have symptoms just because you have low bone density. Now, what you will feel is a broken bone, so that can be painful. Now, if you don't break a bone, the other way to diagnose osteoporosis is to get a DEXA scan or a bone mineral density scan.
0: And we'll get to when that should be done in a few moments. What are some of the biggest risk factors for osteoporosis?
1: Well, aging is definitely, it's, it's probably the biggest uh, risk factor. So as you get older, your bone density tends to drop. Um, and so older people have a higher risk of osteoporosis than younger people. Women also tend to get osteoporosis about 10 years earlier than men. Other big causes are medications that can thin your bones. So things like long-term steroid use, certain cancer medications, and then lifestyle factors such as low body mass, smoking, excessive alcohol, sedentary lifestyle, all of those can contribute, and then other chronic medical conditions. And another big one that we can't really control is genetics, so having a family history of osteoporosis will put you at higher risk as well.
0: How important is a family history in, in uh, establishing a risk for osteoporosis?
1: It's quite important actually. Having had a parent who's fractured a hip is one of the biggest predictors that you're going to fracture a hip. Um, so yeah, genetics are quite important. The actual percentage of someone's risk varies from study to study. I've seen a quarter up to about a half of someone's risk.
0: You mentioned that age is a factor and of course we know I think everybody knows colloquially that that age is a, is is a factor but why what is it about aging that puts us at risk of osteoporosis
1: You know there's probably a lot of factors and a lot of it I don't know I would say the biggest change we see as someone ages is when a woman goes through menopause and during those perimenopausal menopausal years a woman can lose Five to eight percent of their bone mineral density. Um, and that's because estrogen is such an important hormone in the balance of osteoblasts and osteoclasts and having that balance of good bone turnover. And so when a woman goes through menopause, um, that relative estrogen deficiency actually leads to decreased bone building and increased bone resorption. And so that's one of the biggest sudden drops as we age. That gives you that drop in bone density. Other things are, you know, decreased physical activity, um, pro-inflammatory states. There's probably a lot of factors related to aging that that can cause your bone density to suffer.
0: We certainly think of osteoporosis as something that happens late in life. At what age does the process usually begin?
1: So, uh, you know, a child is born, they gain bone density, and they continue to Uh, gain bone density and bone mass till about um, like mid 20s, 30s, early 30s. So that's sort of your peak bone mass. And then it's pretty stable for most people until menopause or into the 60s for men. Um, And then you lose about half a percentage of bone density per year. That's sort of the natural loss in bone density after that.
0: Uh, How early might osteoporosis appear in some people?
1: Oh, gosh. I have patients in my clinic. I mean, I see adults, so as early as 17 in my clinic, but children can get osteoporosis. And usually that's due to um, exposure to medications or genetic issues. Um, I would say the biggest reason that young people have osteoporosis is going to be because of um, high-risk medications, particularly steroids and Secondary medical conditions, like reasons why the you know people might not be absorbing their nutrients, and yeah, other causes like that. There's usually something else going on.
0: Okay, I said we were going to talk about assessment, and let's move on to that. Let's just say you sustain a fracture, and you're you know sixty or sixty five or seven or seventy. What kind of assessment should you then receive?
1: It's really important that you get a full. Risk assessment. Now, that generally includes getting a bone mineral density scan if it's available, but you can actually get a fracture risk assessment without knowing someone's bone mineral density. So we look at factors like age, gender, um, smoking status, weight, family history, alcohol intake, previous fractures, other medical conditions, being on long term steroids. So looking at the whole picture. And then there are several risk prediction tools that a physician can use to determine what category you're in for future fracture risk. And that now dictates if you should be treated or not. So many, many years ago, most people were basing their treatment um, on just your bone density numbers. And now more and more guidelines are moving towards looking at your full risk profile and uh, using that to more accurately predict your risk of breaking bones.
0: At what age would you say, and of course, you know, things vary. Uh, each patient is different. Uh, they come to the table with, with more or, or less in, in the way of risk factors. But at what age would you be considering that a fracture might be due to osteoporosis and deserves this kind of risk uh, assessment?
1: Um, that is actually a bit of a loaded question. You will see papers that say things like a fracture resulting from a fall from standing height over the age of forty, for example. You would consider a fragility fracture. But there's actually no good evidence to show that fractures occurring after the age of forty predicts future fractures, but fractures before the age of forty doesn't. So those cutoffs cutoffs are pr- quite arbitrary. And in fact, um, at the next American Society of Bone and Mineral Density meeting, um, I've submitted an abstract where we actually looked at that. What we did is we looked at fractures occurring at all ages, and tried to see if there was sort of a cutoff point where fractures above a certain age predicts fractures, i.e., you know, you know, it's it's more of a fragility fracture represents osteoporosis. Um, versus fractures below a certain age. And we actually found no difference for the age of fracture and future fracture risk. So I think that any cutoff is quite arbitrary. And you have to just look at the picture. If an 18-year-old fell and broke their hip, I would say you should at the very minimum look into their full profile and see if there's a reason they might have osteoporosis instead of just saying, well, they're under 40, this can't be a fragility fracture and it can't be osteoporosis, so we can ignore it.
0: So what determines whether a fracture is a fragility fracture or not?
1: Yeah, there's no great definition, unfortunately, right? I think um, the one a lot of people use are things like fall from standing height or, you know, then I've seen people say, well, what about tripping over one step or two steps? Like, what is the cutoff? And I mean, there's probably never going to be a study that tells you this exact amount of force um, is the cutoff for a fragility fracture or not. I mean, people get compression fractures in their spine with no falls, right? Just twisting yes. and bed, for example. I've seen that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you look at the situation and most of the time you sort of use just a reasonable approach. Like, do you think a healthy person with healthy bones would have broken their bone in that situation? Mm-hmm.
0: We're hoping that people listening to us never have a fracture. Uh, Some of them will, but a lot of them won't. At what age, uh, according to the latest recommendations, uh, should people be getting an assessment for osteoporosis?
1: So Osteoporosis Canada, Canada guidelines from 2010 say sort of the general healthy population should get their first bone density scan at the age of 65. But there are then many conditions under which you would do them sooner such as such as you know having had a fragility fracture having medical conditions that put you at risk of osteoporosis being on long-term steroids smoking having a family history and so on there's there's quite a big list actually
0: so uh what are some of the possible treatments for osteoporosis
1: so the most common ones are the bisphosphonates they're oral uh, medications that generally are taken once a week, like Alendronate or Resedrinate. that's Those have been around for many, many years. More recently, we have some non-oral options, such as um, ibizolodronic acid. That's an infusion that's done once a year. We have denosumab or Prolia. That's an injection under the skin every six months. And then our newest drugs on the market are the bone-building drugs or the anabolic agents. And we have teriparatide, which is an injection daily under the skin. And we have romosozumab, which is an injection under the skin every month. So we have more options now than we've had for many years before this. It's kind of a, a great time for osteoporosis because we have more options.
0: How are you using bone mineral density tests done over time, repeat testing, to know if you're on the right track, if you, to know that, that the patient's responding and, and that they're doing well.
1: Yeah. And I get this type of referral a lot of, you know, I've had this patient, they've been on treatment, um, their BMD is essentially unchanged, um, they're still in the high risk category, does that mean that the treatment's not working? I would say that's not the case. Um, Generally, with the oral drugs, we're looking for stability in the bone mineral density. We're not necessarily looking for improvement. And most people who are high risk to begin with, at least with the oral medications, it's unlikely that the BMD will improve enough that they won't be high risk anymore. You're not going to treat somebody with an oral drug to the point where they're going to go from high risk to low risk. So um, just knowing That is a really important thing so that you can tell your patients we're not actually going to expect huge improvements in your BMD. We also know that even if your BMD doesn't improve with treatment, your risk of breaking a bone still goes down. So the risk reduction after a year of oral drugs is about 50%. Um, With the injection drugs, it's closer to about 70% at a year.
0: Got it. As we've already said, osteoporosis is a silent disease because you you typically don't know you have it until you break a bone, unless, of course, you've reached that age where you're getting an assessment. So prevention is, is obviously of value. So how do you prevent osteoporosis? Mm.
1: Okay. Well, frankly, it starts in childhood, ideally, you know, just making sure that you're getting adequate calcium, uh, vitamin D. Protein, you know, just having a healthy lifestyle from an early age is important. Being physically active also helps to build bone and increase what your peak bone mass is going to be. Um, mm-hmm. And then once you're in adulthood, again, making sure that you have adequate vitamin D, that you're getting adequate calcium intake. Um, being physically active is really important. We have sensors in our bones and um Actually putting stress on your bones stimulates your bones to grow. I mean, I shouldn't say grow. It's not getting bigger, but it stimulates more um, bone building. So being active, ensuring you have a good diet, and then um, minimizing risk, right? So things like avoiding excessive alcohol, avoiding smoking, um, minimizing drugs that could be harmful to your bones, optimizing other medical conditions.
0: Are there particular types of exercise that are better?
1: Yeah. Weight-bearing exercise is actually what's best for your bones. And there's some studies on exercise programs where they've shown that having sort of a strike or um, sort of impact on your bones also stimulates bones more. So in a lot of other diseases, we really focus on aerobic activity, and that's important for overall health. But for osteoporosis, it's really important to actually um, put weight on your bones. Now, we have to be really careful when we're recommending exercises for patients with osteoporosis because, like I said, if your bones have low bone density, even just twisting can cause a vertebral compression fracture, for example. So... um, that's that's one of the reasons we actually set up the multidisciplinary bone clinic is I I thought it was so important that we had physiotherapy and occupational therapy support so that we aren't potentially doing harm by telling people to go and exercise, but not providing good guidance around safe ways to do it. And uh there's a certification that physiotherapists can get called BoneFit certified. And so you can actually go online and find physiotherapists who have completed that certification. And I highly recommend seeking out a physiotherapist who has done that kind of training if you're serious about uh, wanting to pursue especially new exercises that you haven't really been doing before.
0: What are some of the better sources of calcium uh, that people can consume in their diets?
1: Yeah, we always recommend dietary calcium if you can. That can be really difficult um, if you're you know, lactose intolerant or can't have dairy products. Dairy products are certainly sort of the easiest way to get calcium. Um, for people who are vegan, you can get it from certain vegetables, but it's, it's quite difficult to get enough dietary calcium without dairy intake. So if you can't meet it through your diet, um, then supplement is perfectly good as well.
0: Preventing falls is is a whole other subject, but uh, what are some of your top tips for preventing falls that you recommend to your patients?
1: Oh gosh, yeah, there's a huge list, and that is what the occupational therapist in our clinic goes through. So you can actually go online and find some home checklists about safety things you can do at home. For example, you know, removing rugs or putting anti slip things under your rugs, but You know, just basic things like making sure your glasses prescription is up to date so that your vision is good, making sure that, you know, your hearing aid is optimized, you know, making sure that you wear shoes that have good grip. We see a big spike in hip fractures and actually other, actually all osteoporotic fractures when there's ice on the ground. Um, So, you know, being really, really careful when it's icy or wet and slippery out. Um, Other things you can do are, you know, go through a medication review with your pharmacist and see if there are any medications that, you know, might be increasing your drowsiness or um, causing issues with balance. Because we do see that certainly to medication-induced drowsiness or reducing cognitive function or, you know, other things like that that might increase your risk of falls. And then finally, you know, strengthening, muscle strengthening um, exercises that improve your balance um, are also helpful. The list goes on.
0: (laughs) It is, but it's an important thing to try to get people not to fall because if they've got osteoporosis and they fall, then they're going to be more likely to uh, have those fragility fractures. Uh, Dr. Carrie Yee, I want to thank you uh, for coming on to The Dose to talk about osteoporosis.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Dr. Carrie Yee is a rheumatologist and the medical director of the multidisciplinary bone health clinic in Edmonton. She's also the founder and director of the Northern Alberta Osteoporosis Program. Here's your dose of smart advice. Osteoporosis is a disease that is caused by low bone mass. That weakens the bones, which can lead to fractures. Each year, an estimated 30,000 Canadians break their hip, which is one of the highest rates in the world. The risk of osteoporosis increases with age. There's a higher prevalence in postmenopausal women. It tends to run in families. Taking glucocorticoid drugs like prednisone for more than three months increases the risk, as do medical conditions that inhibit the absorption of nutrients and other medical conditions or medications that contribute to bone loss. Osteoporosis has been called the silent thief because it tends to go undiagnosed even after patients have broken bones. Early detection of bone loss is critical in preventing osteoporotic fractures authorities recommend a bone mineral density scan beginning at age 65 as part of a full risk assessment. Bone mineral density testing can begin sooner if there are increased risk factors or so-called fragility fractures. These are defined as broken bones that arise from minimal trauma such as a fall from a standing height or no identifiable trauma at all. There's a wide variety of treatment options available including pills and injectable medications some that are taken daily, and some that are administered as infrequently as once every six months or one year. There are lots of things you can do to keep your bones as healthy as possible. Eat foods each day that support bone health, including foods that contain calcium, vitamin D, and protein. Do weight-bearing exercises such as strength training, walking, hiking, jogging, climbing stairs, tennis, and dancing. A BoneFit certified physical therapist can help design an exercise program that's right for you. Quitting smoking and limiting alcohol consumption can also make a big difference. People who develop osteoporosis need to be careful to avoid falls. The seeds of osteoporosis begin in childhood. Building healthy habits can help keep your bones strong late in life. If you have topics you'd like discussed or questions answered, our email address is thedose at cbc.ca. If you like this episode, please give us a rating and review wherever you listen. This edition of The Dose was produced by Isabel Gallant. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. If you're looking for medical advice, see your health care provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.